The Trek Geeks Podcast Network is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 400 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for Trek Geeks listeners. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the galaxy's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone. See their limited edition giant silver Tribble available for pre-order today at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Nana Visitor, Major Kira Norris from Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant, the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. broom closet just outside the exchequer's office at the divine treasury home of the grand nagus it's the biggest little show this side of the alpha quadrant the flagship of the trick geeks podcast network greetings to you ferengi and non-ferengi everywhere and welcome to the trek geeks podcast this is episode number 276 and i am your illustrious co-host bill smith i have a co-host that's it i have a co-host i mean if if he were on Ferenginar, um, I'm sure that he would be the dim-witted guy that gets promoted to Grand Nagus because he's just not that bright. Um, but he would wind up in charge, and then I'd have to leave. He's the very dumber-than-Rom Dan Davidson. Dan, uh, welcome aboard, buddy. Uh, uh, it's good to have you uh, here. Uh, thank you, Smithy. Uh-huh. Uh, that was that was awful. If I was on Ferenginar, the sun would come out. Let's just say that. Which put it that would way. be that would wreak havoc on Ferenginar. No, people would be happy and they wouldn't be so glum and always looking for money anymore. They'd be smiling and dancing in the streets. But it's like Seattle; they're used to the rain. <laughs> that's oh, yeah, that's true, and they still would have to lower themselves to go through the doors, which are never high enough. I never really could understand for Ferengi. That. Yeah, I, I know. Even for Ferengi, they have to. I, I don't know. Anyway, it's good to be here. Uh, a Fer- you got a Ferengi tone to your intro today. I wonder why that is. I wonder why too. Perhaps it's because we have uh, an amazing special guest, someone that we have wanted to have on the podcast since we started uh, seven years ago, and it really is a dream come true for both of us. It really is, and um, uh, we we talk about this. Um, I don't even remember if it was during the recording or, or when we were not recording with this guest, and we were saying how when we started the podcast, we came up with a list of like five must-haves on the show. And he was in that list of five. 
And it took us seven years to get him here. But we finally did it. And we are thrilled because he reinvented the Ferengi race. And we're so honored to have Armin Shimmerman dropping by to talk to us on the podcast today. What a wonderful human being this guy is. His wife, Kitty, is just as wonderful. They are involved in some great uh, organizations. And we're going to talk about all kinds of great things from Quark to Buffy to his books that he's written. And of course... Uh, pan can so it's it's a great conversation and dude I, I gotta tell you when we finally were able to get him to say i'd love to come on the show it was a dream come true i was so excited i i'm still kind of shaking my head that it happened because i've met us and um <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's uh i, I don't want to spoil it for anybody but uh armin still showed up so we're, we're a hot um, mess <laughs> well, I mean, when you put it in those terms, yeah, I guess we are. But, you know, it, it's truly, I mean, as a Star Trek fan, this really is a highlight of my fandom to have the opportunity to chat with Armin. Uh, just such, such a delightful guy. You know, he heard us giving, you know, guff to each other back and forth. And he's like, yeah, I don't think I can play at that level. <laughs> I'm like, really, nobody should play at this level. That's right. Uh, not even yeah. us, but we do. Truly genuine human being, and it's amazing because people that love the character of Quark and know what Quark is like, you can't find anybody more opposite than the character he represented in, in Deep Space Nine and and when he was on Voyager and whatnot a, a, a time or two. Um, it's just it's just fantastic. He's he truly is awesome and it was it was a an honor to talk to him here it was an honor to have him on the uh fundraiser for hollywood food coalition uh last month and uh and it's gonna it, we're gonna have a great time talking to him if you have the opportunity to meet armin at a convention please please avail yourself of that you know it's it i guarantee you will not you will leave with a smile on your face he's such a warm and genuine guy absolutely that uh that it, it absolutely would be worth it so um, what do you say we, uh, we talk about some, some sponsors and we'll come back, uh, with a conversation. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, do you not want to do that? <laughs> no, that I sounds mean, great. I love our sponsors. <laughs> it sounds like you hate them. Um, <laughs> just, and every huh? once in a while, I kind of get hypnotized by the sound of your voice because it just drones on and on and on. So I apologize. I would love to talk about our sponsors. My I friend. don't think you're in any position to tell <laughs> me about my voice droning on and on and on. <laughs> Damn, it's our favorite time of the show, other than when we hear my mellifluous tones, of course. Um, and yeah, I changed the copy on the fly because I, I'm like that. I call it Crazy Ivan. And that's the time we get to talk about our dear friends at Fansets and what wonderful releases they have in store for all Star Trek fans. Yeah, absolutely. I got to say, you and Fansets. That is, could it be, I don't know, the best of both worlds? <laughs> See what I did there? I host yeah. you. Jerk. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's a new month, and that means new pins to add to your ever-growing collection. Right now, over at fansets.com, the newest releases for February are all about Discovery, as you can order Season 4 Captain Burnham, as well as the devil devilishly evil, devilishly evil, <laughs> Osira. <laughs> right now. <laughs> I knew I was going to screw that up. I don't know why I use that word. Um, and later this month, it'll be all about Lower Decks and, well, Tom Paris, as you can add the Lower Decks Tom Paris plate and the Lower Decks version of Tom Paris to your Lower Decks fan sets pin collection. Lower Decks, man. Lower Decks. 
lower decks. So wait a second. They're making a pin of the lower decks plate of Dom Paris? That is amazing. It is. is, It's a pin. It's not a plate-sized pin. Plate. Pin. Yeah. It's a pin. A little, 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 little pin. Uh, but yes, the plate is a pin, which is awesome. And then, of course, they did it with Riker and Troy. You now can have a lower decks version of Tom Paris, and it's it looks it looks pretty awesome. This is this is awesome. So get yourselves on over to fansets.com, grab a bunch of those pins and maybe some accessories, maybe a gift card or two. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's special discount code word LOBES. That's L-O-B-E-S in all capital letters for 10% off your entire order. This offer will be good until February 23rd, 2022 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. Plus, do not forget that when you spend more than 30 bucks on fansets.com, you will automatically get free shipping inside the United States. Fansets, our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Hey, Bill. You know, uh, uh, (laughs) Valentine's Day is coming up quick and love is definitely in the air. What better gift for the one you love than the galaxy's first interactive Tribble from Science Division? Right now at ScienceDIV.com, they're offering special Valentine's Day packaging. Just select it from the drop-down menu when when you add a Tribble to your cart, and that furry little monster will come wrapped in colorful tissue paper and arrive with a free pixel art pin. And the best part, this special packaging can totally be combined with other offers. Yeah, like this one. If you order a Tribble of any size at ScienceDIV.com before February 14th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, use code 7 to get a special $10 off just for Trek Geeks listeners. And you'll get that 10 bucks off, not because Science Division is awesome, because they are, but you'll get it oh, no. because, oh, no. wait for it. Yes. Uh, please, no. Tribbles are not dangerous, Bill. Uh, yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, that's code S-E-V-E-N in all capital letters. That'll get you 10 bucks off. I didn't put that in the copy, so I should probably say it. Yeah, because that's- Science Division. Yeah. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Hi, Dr. Phil Flocks, also known as John Billingsley, speaking- I am the president of the board of the Hollywood Food Coalition. We serve terrific multi-course meals to the unhoused and to those in need seven nights a week. We assist as many as 100 nonprofits with their food needs, buttressing extraordinary social service programs. We work with community partners to address issues of food insecurity here in SoCal. We do lots of other great stuff, but how much time do we have? If you're in L.A., come and volunteer with us at hofoco.org slash volunteer. And any Federation credits you can spare go a long way. Well, today's guest is legendary, and not just for Star Trek fans. He was a regular guest as Principal Snyder on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, until he was eaten by a giant demonic snake that was formerly Mayor Wilkins. You saw him for the very first time in Star Trek as, well, a a giant talking face on one of Loaxana Troy's suitcases. Then he played one of the very first Ferengi ever seen in Star Trek in TNG's first season episode, The Last Outpost. But then he was cast in Star Trek Deep Space Nine as the Ferengi Quark. And, well, let's just say it was the beginning of the rebirth of the Ferengi race. In addition to his acting contributions, he's a well-respected author of several books, including Deep Space Nine's The 34th Rule, co-written with David R. George, and most recently released Betrayal of Angels and A Sea of Troubles, books one and two of Illyria, 
which will take you back to the Elizabethan era and the Queen's Conjurer, Dr. John D. He also teaches as an adjunct at the University of Southern California and can be found at many theaters in the Los Angeles area, serving as a Shakespeare scholar for productions. Also, he and his wonderful wife, Kitty Swink, are heavily involved in PANCAN, the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, whose mission is to take bold action to improve the lives of everyone impacted by pancreatic cancer. And both he and Kitty were guests on our recent Trek Talks live stream to benefit the Hollywood Food Coalition. It is a profound honor to welcome the one and only Mr. Armin Shimmerman to the Trek Geeks podcast. And Armin, got to say, thank you so much for joining us and welcome aboard, sir. Thank you. Nice to be aboard. And uh, thank you for that uh, intro. Makes me feel old, but uh, I'm glad I'm still here. So that's good. And worked on it for months. He knows very few words, and when he puts them together, they sound pretty good. Uh, Armin, we've we've started our podcast this way with all of our guests the last couple of years because these are the weird these are the weirdest of times in in our society. And and the question is this: How are you? How is Kitty? Are you both healthy? Are you both staying safe? And and how are those close to you? Thank you for asking. That's very nice. Uh, uh, Kitty and I have been very lucky and been able to avoid the pandemic uh, for the last two years. Uh, We've had uh, no problems whatsoever. We've been fortunate. We have had friends who have acquired it and and they've gotten through it. No no friends of ours have passed away from it. Um, But uh, of course, millions of people have. And we only advocate that uh, everyone listening should definitely get the vaccines, get the vaccination, get the booster shots. And when you can, uh, do as I do, which is wear a mask in public places and uh, try to be safe. Because it's not just about you. It's about making sure that the people you love don't get it either. It's amazing how sensible that is, yet it seems to escape so many. Um, I don't want to make any bold statements here, but I'm going to. Um, You're 100% right, and we support that message uh, to the nth degree, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to hear people that that have a voice and have listeners. You have a great uh, following on Twitter to, to say something like that because it's important. And the more people hear it, the more people might actually take that advice. Um, I, uh, too, uh, Bill and I both are, are, are vaccinated and boosted and, and uh, we have not had any ill effects from it. Um, but like I said, there's almost a million people that have died uh, from this and it, it really doesn't uh, take a lot of effort to get the shots and to wear a mask. So, so very good words. I really appreciate it, Armin. Um, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, about all the fun stuff that is Star Trek and Quark. Of course, um, we saw you uh, as as I mentioned in the intro as as a as a giant suitcase face, uh, which was which is always a fun thing to, to talk about. Um, let me ask you what you thought about the Ferengi when you were first cast in TNG to be a Ferengi, and what the thought process about what this race was going to be like in the next generation. Sure, absolutely. Well, first I'll start with a disclosure. Um, I apologize to everybody for that first episode with the Ferengi. uh, I'm I'm eternally ashamed of that performance. And uh, as many people have heard me say in the past, uh, it it was my objective as Quark in Deep Space Nine to try to eradicate that first uh, last outpost performance that I gave uh, and influenced the other guys who played Ferengi as well. It, It was wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay. Here's why it was wrong. Uh, when I was cast in that, um, I thought, oh, these guys are, 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 because what we were told was that the Ferengi were going to be the new Klingons. Mm-hmm. 
that it, that the the Federation was going to be terrified of the Ferengi and, and they were going to be battling them across the stars. Um, and so they made the mistake of hiring me, who was a comic actor, and and I, being a classical actor as well, decided that I would play Letek, that was the Ferengi that I played, mm-hmm. as sort of a, a diminutive Richard III. And if you watch that episode again, you'll see that uh, Letek has a little bit of a limp and a little bit of a hunchback. And um, and and I was playing it way over the top. Um, then I saw the episode and uh, was very red-faced about what I had done. It didn't help um, that they gave me a blue whip and said, and literally said to me, make this look lethal, um, which was really hard because it was just a piece of foam rubber, that uh, long, thin piece of foam rubber. It wasn't even a whip. It was just a long piece of foam rubber, oh, wow. which I rolled up and made into a whip. Um, the, the makeup, uh, which I became very fond of was comical. It wasn't threatening. And, and of course they put us in furs. So, uh, we had several strikes against us, against us, but the main culprit for how bad the Ferengi started out was my fault. And I take full responsibility for it. Um, and so Quark was always an attempt to eradicate that, to, to give, that those, what I started with, which was a one-dimensional character, that was my performance, and try to make it into a three-dimensional uh, character, which, thanks to the writers, thanks to the designers, thanks to the directors, and thanks to myself, we were able to do. That's, that's very interesting, because I know I know that a lot of people from time to time had talked about how the Ferengi weren't that threat that everybody initially thought they were going to be. Uh, and you're talking about how, how you were taking responsibility for that, which, which is interesting. But at the same time, as I said, you kind of had the rebirth of the Ferengi race with the character of Quark. Did you, in addition to the writers and the storytelling and the directing, did you have a lot of input as Quark as how you wanted the Ferengi race to evolve on Deep Space Nine and become as respectable an alien race as it did become after the seven seasons? Yes and no. And before we go any further, I also want to add to the people, to to myself, who, who legitimized the Ferengi race. We must also add Max Gredenchek and Aaron Eisenberg. Oh, absolutely. So, Um, who were equally interested in making it them three-dimensional characters. Uh, They were as much a a part of that, of that upbringing of rising, of raising the caliber of the Ferengi as I was. So um, you asked me, did I have any input? Yes and no. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't speak to the writers or the creators and say, I like this, this, and this. Um, that I did not do. But what does happen on a set is as actors make choices and producers are not, and producers are usually writers on TV, um, who are not on the set, they watch dailies and they watch the, the choices that I and Aaron and, and Max made and they began to get ideas about the species because of the three actors uh, and others who were... Who were uh, who were making choices. So in that sense, my choices uh, for the for the episodes for uh, each individual scene had an Im- impact, I'm sure, on the writers. So so in that way, I influenced the writing. But uh, 
unlike Next Generation, the Deep Space Nine actors that I know of, um, we had very little input into into the writing of the shows. Next Generation had actually quite a bit of input, uh, but we did not. And I think that was specifically because the Next Generation actors did have input, that the writers and the producers didn't want to have that um, sorrows again of having all the actors tell them what to do. So they, they purposely stayed away from us for the first three years of our shoot. We never saw a writer-producer on the stage ever. Oh, wow. You know, it's it's funny because I actually am one of those people who really kind of likes the last outpost. Um, I, I mean, it, you know, you there's to have your head examined. <laughs> That's true in so many years, ways, man. Armin. You know, it's it it it's not it it's not untrue at all. But um, I, I think the thing I like about it is that the Ferengi are so different. I mean, you 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 take a lot of heat, you know, for for that decision, you know, on your own, but. Honestly, I, I actually kind of like that portrayal of the Ferengi compared to some of the other ones later in TNG where they seem to be kind of bumbling nitwits, um, like an entire race of bumbling nitwits. And I think that when Deep Space Nine came around and, and like you said, started to legitimize them, and to me, Quark was always kind of the Tom Selleck of Ferengi. Um, it, yeah, it, nice. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> it, to, to me, it went a long way to... To, to to giving this alien race some uh, something to be interested in, and I, that's that's really you know uh, for me it's it, it ha- started in the last output post and then didn't happen again until Deep Space Nine. All the Frangie episodes in between to me are kind of eh. Well, all those episodes in between, I wasn't in, so that's probably <laughs> <laughs> Max was in uh, one though. He was in the holiday. You know, <laughs> there is one uh, other one that I did do, uh, and I was trying my hardest to to. Uh, to legitimize the Ferengi in that episode. But um, thank you for that. Uh, you know, um, we did our best. And, and it is flattering and uh, rewarding to hear over the years that people began to like the Ferengi. I, I've heard it so many times. Oh, I hated the Ferengi when they first came on. So, Bill, you're one of the few people that like the Ferengi. But but I, I've heard that over and over. And and I I understand that. They were bumbling they, and and that's not ever what they were supposed to be. Right. Um, but again, I opened the door to that. Um, so it's gratifying to know that, that uh, we we proved ourselves to an audience. I I, I hope the three of us and the others uh, did for the Ferengi as Michael Dorn did for the Klingons. And my oh, was incredible that way. I, I I definitely uh, think that's uh, that's the case, Armin. Yeah. Of course, Max and Aaron. Of course, we, I, I'm going to get into Aaron in just a moment. But the three of you, you know, Quark and and Ram as brother and and <clears throat> Nog as the nephew, had a very strong dy- family dynamic on the show. Yes, the three Did, of us. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, is that were the three of you really close as actors during the shooting of 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 the episodes? Yes, we were, and and so that shows up on the screen as well. Yes. Um, we were very close. Um, I think because when we started, we were still laughing stocks, and a lot of the people not on on camera and off camera, and because we had this funny looking makeup as well, um, and because we were short, uh, they treated us as less than equal. And so we bonded together because uh, 
we were all in that makeup together. We were all of the same height. Uh, Aaron, perhaps a little shorter, but um, and uh, and 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 we—it's it, like anyone. It was like a ghetto mentality. We were we were working with these upstanding characters and, and actors, and 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 we were the laughing stocks, and so we bonded a great deal together, um, and and found a way to to make to legitimize the species that we were playing. I really loved um, the, the the family dynamic that I mentioned with the three of your characters. Of course, Quark was a little uh, overbearing on his brother, but but seemed to do it out of love. And of course, you know he he wanted what's best for Nog. I have always said that uh, I love the fact that that Rom, for all of the you know the goofiness that he had and brilliantly portrayed by Max, I absolutely love the character becomes the Grand Nagus. And of course, Bill and I have said for a long time that that uh, Nog had probably the greatest full character arc of anyone on Deep Space Nine. And I think that's a tribute to those storylines for the Ferengi. And it's interesting that you thought that, you know, at the beginning that they kind of, you know, looked looked down about about the Ferengi characters a little bit. Um, but let's talk about for a minute about Aaron since 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 he's sure. been uh, talked about for a couple of times. Of course, it was a, it was a shock to, to all of us. Um, and, and I'm sure it was a shock to you. Uh, can, can you share with us what your thoughts are in regards to what lose, losing Aaron was like to you and to the castmates that you've spoken with? Well, I, I'm sure that all my friends and all the all the people that knew Aaron feel this specifically, which is a great deal of joy went out of the world when Aaron passed away. Um, Aaron was always made people smile, made them laugh, made them feel comfortable. He was extraordinarily good at remembering everybody's names, not only at work, but at conventions. Um, he, he was just, you could not be in a room with Aaron and not smile and have a good time. He, he, was, just, he was just joy incarnate. Um, he, he was always worried that he wasn't a good enough actor and he was always striving to do better, which is a trait that I really admire in other actors where they just don't stand on their laurels, but try to tr achieve to do something better. We had many conversations about that. Um, we, we knew from the first day that I worked with him that uh, he had some medical problems. Mm -hmm. And eventually they bit him in the ass um, and, and took him away from us. Uh, it, it's a great loss. And, and I'm sort of looking over my shoulder. People can't see that. But I have a picture of Aaron to my right. Uh, which I see every day, and every day I'm reminded of what a good friend and a good person and an enormously good heart he had. Yeah. You know, Dan and I were in um, in Albany, New York, at a at a Star Trek convention representing Trek geeks, and and Aaron was in the in the the dealer's room with us. And at one point over the weekend, he hatched a plan to have Garrett Wong's table taken out of the dealer's room. Um, so that Garrett had no place to sit. And instead we had this little card table next to our booth and he set Garrett up at our card table as sort of his signing place. And Aaron comes up and he goes, Hey guys, do you mind if I set this up for Garrett? And we're like, absolutely not. You go right ahead. And it was probably one of the great, you know, memories of that entire weekend. Um, not just the joy, but also the, the sort of mischievousness um, that, that we got a chance to see firsthand. And, and it's like you said, what, what just what a joyful spirit. And it was that moment that we interacted with him that we'll remember forever. 
Yeah, he he was the prankster on the on the set. We we had very few pranksters. People always ask us about practical jokes that happened on our set, and we always look at each other and go, "There, there weren't any. <laughs> we didn't do that." But but Aaron did, and he certainly did it at conventions. Um, again, he just made people smile. He just and if you were the victim of one of his practical jokes, uh, he always apologized profusely for having done it to you, and you didn't feel badly about it at all. <laughs> you know, I um, it, it's going back to uh to next generation for a second. Your your very first appearance on there was a talking suitcase. Um, I, I've always wondered this: How does your agent pitch you that part? <laughs> does he call you up and say, "Armin, Armin, listen to me, buddy. I've got the the role of a lifetime for you. You're not going to believe it. It's on Star Trek, that new Star Trek series that's out. You're not going to believe this. You are going to play a talking Samsonite." Good. So let me answer that with two answers. Let me start with the easy first answer first. What makes you think that an agent had to convince me to do anything? Um, uh, uh, at that time in my career, if, if they had offered me, uh, you know, a talking whatever, jackass, uh, yes, yes, pay me, yes, I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it. When do I start? So, no, there, there was never any conflict. Now, the much more interesting story is this. At the time that I was offered that part, I was a recurring character on a wonderful show called Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman and Lynn yeah. And I auditioned for Star Trek 1 and, and primarily, let's say 1, 2, 3, and 4, 5, and 6, because I was a huge Star Trek fan. A uh, huge Star Trek. I watched all of that original series over and over and over again. Uh, I, I was as big a geek as anyone could possibly be. Okay. So, when I had an opportunity to audition for Next Generation, I jumped at the chance. It didn't matter how small uh, or uh, how small it was. I was just going to do it. And when they told me I was going to get beamed up, oh, wow. That was... It's like a dream. Exactly. It's a dream come true. Now, I get the job. Uh, about two or three days after they told me I have the job, my agent, who you've referenced, calls me up. And says, Armin, uh, you're going to have to turn down the Star Trek show. And I said, why? And they said, because it, the Beauty and the Beast people need you the same day. Oh. So you, you have to give up the Star Trek show and you have to uh, uh, and take the Beauty and the Beast because the Beauty and the Beast is paying you real money and giving you something to do. Uh, you really can't take the Star Trek show. But I'm a huge Star Trek fan, I said. And they said, uh, sorry, you have to. We got into a huge fight. A huge fight. Oh, wow. Because I wanted to do the Star Trek. And I, and I said, Beauty and the Beast will get over it. They'll, they'll miss me for one episode. It's okay. And it was a huge fight with my agent. Um, and eventually, uh, I won. I'm the client. I won. And uh, I did that. I think my agent and I parted company a couple of months after that. Ah, uh, interesting. Um, and uh, and obviously, in hindsight, one could say I think I made the right decision <laughs> uh, because because I had just done the box. It was only a couple of weeks, two or three at the most, where they called me in for the uh, for the Ferengi part of Letek on. Um, the last outpost. Um, and, and they said to me years later, well, we had just used you, so and we knew you were short, so we're going to use you again. And uh, if I hadn't done the box, 
that connection wouldn't have been in their minds and they might have gotten another actor. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very grateful that the gods looked after me at that moment and, uh, and apologies to my agent, but you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so one of the things that I, I love about Deep Space Nine, by the way, Armin, Deep Space Nine is Bill and I's both favorite Star Trek series. Hands down. I got a giant tattoo of it on my arm. Um, it's 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 our favorite series. I know you guys have good taste. Yes. Well, uh, he's my podcast partner, so that's neither here nor there. Hey. Um, but sorry. But uh, one of the things that I love about Deep Space Nine is, of course, the relationship between Quark and Odo. It's, you know, when the when the show first started, you know, people would say, oh, it's the Bones and Spock relationship or 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 whatnot. The relationship that you guys have on Deep Space Nine was such a joy to watch. And losing Renee to a as a fan was completely crippling to me. I was at Walt Disney World the day that Aaron passed away. <clears throat> I was talking to a person at a store at Hollywood Studios trying to show her something on my phone that I was looking for and Bill texted me that Renee had passed away. And I literally had to stop talking to this wonderful person and had to go outside sit on a bench and start crying. And I had never even met him. You had a great relationship as the characters on the show. The Ascent is probably one of my all-time favorite episodes of Star Trek when you two are, are, are climbing the mountain to set up the radio communications. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship that you had with Renee and, and, and what it meant to you? I know that that, that cast, um, if I remember correctly, had an idea of what was going on with Renee's health before the general public knew. So I think you were more prepared for it, if there's even a term like that, than with Aaron's. But can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Uh, there seem to be at least two questions here. So let me start with the first one. Um, uh, Renee and I were more than just castmates. Uh, it was a bromance. Uh, I loved him. I'm quite sure he loved me. Um, and that developed during the course of Deep Space Nine. Um, uh, first of all, understand he and I are essentially both stage actors. That's yes. what we were yep. always most comfortable with. Renee is a crown prince on stage. Uh, when you say the name Aubergenois to people who work in the theater, they, they bow down. It's, uh, Renee's uh, reputation as a stage actor is, is still uh, phenomenal. So I, I was in awe of him uh, when I first met him. I didn't first meet him on Deep Space Nine. Uh, we did a play together in Los Angeles called Petrified Forest. And um, we had very little to do with each other in the play. And so we didn't really know each other. But Rene, uh, at times, certainly back then, before Deep Space Nine, could be rather aloof. And uh, I was not fond of his aloofness when I was doing the play. <laughs> and so when I read, when I realized that he and I both had been cast in Deep Space Nine, I thought, oh, Here's two characters who don't like each other. That's going to be easy. <laughs> okay. Then what happened was the powers of be placed him and I next to each other in the makeup trailer. And, um, and that's when the bromance began to grow. Um, we soon found out that we had many people in common that were fond, that we were both fond of. We had many experiences that were, that, were the same. His were 
a little bit more golden than mine, but uh, but there were this there were similar theatrical experiences, and uh, and our work ethic was the same. We both wanted desperately to do the best job we possibly could under this makeup that we were being forced to wear, um, and we just our bond grew and grew and grew, and as I said earlier. Uh, Writers see things in dailies, and they must have early on seen this romance that the two of us had, and they began to write to it, and we began to play to it, um, and as our, our friendship blossomed, it blossomed both off camera and on camera, and by the time we finished the series, um, we were bosom buddies. We took vacations together. This used to blow one of our producers' minds. You had to actually go on vacations together? Um, we did. We spent a lot of time going to each other's houses. Um, I'm happy to say that last night uh, I had dinner with uh, his widow, Judith. We had a great time. Um, I watched his children grow up. They're both successful actors as well. Um, I adored Renee. Um, it, and it was, even though you're absolutely right, I was given a lot of forewarning, forewarning that he was going to pass away. Um, and so when the, when the day came, uh, it was a sad one, but not a shock, as opposed to Aaron, which was an utter shock, yep. which, which just was a left hook that I didn't see coming. Do you have a favorite performance of Renee's outside of Star Trek? Um, ah, you know, I've never been asked that question. Uh, um, I'm sure there's probably one that I'm forgetting. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I didn't see it in person. I saw it on, on film. Uh, he played Edgar in King Lear with James Earl Jones. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And if anyone has an opportunity to see that, not only for Renee. I am, you know, uh, supposedly a Shakespeare scholar. And the best King Lear, which is a hard play to do, the best King Lear I've ever done, ever seen, is the one with James Earl Jones. And Rene is in it. James Earl Jones is in it. Raul Julia is in it. Uh, Paul Servino is in it. Uh, a lot of wonderful actors. It's a brilliant performance. But there are many, many performances you know, people forget that Rene was the original Father Mulcahy, which which he was offered that part for the TV series. And he says that's the worst mistake he ever made. Oh, wow. <laughs> then he turned it down. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, wow. But, you know, if he had taken that, perhaps. Yeah. He had taken, they weren't the same time, but perhaps that might have jolted, jolted him from being Odo in Deep Space Nine. Wow, that, that's amazing to think. You know, I... I listen to, you know, every now and then some, some of my favorite Broadway, you know, uh, original cast recordings, you know, and Renee's in Big River, Renee's in City of Angels, um, which is probably one of my favorite, you know, performances of his. Um, yeah. I mean, everybody talks about the chef and the Little Mermaid, the Disney animated film, which I didn't know was him for the longest time. Um, and just uh, throughout my life, there's been performances by Renee Auberginois. So I totally understand how Dan felt when he was leveled because I read the news that day and I was like, I, I, I literally was without speech. Um, it's, it, it, it was a great loss. Um, huge loss. 
But as I said, uh, uh, we were prepared for it. In fact, uh, for, for the year before he passed away, and he knew he was going to die, um, he sent us all emails on a regular basis about death. Um, uh, to not only perhaps get himself ready, but to get us ready mm. as well. And one of the, the most uh, Renee-like things I can think of is that we got an email from him the day after he passed away. <laughs> uh, which was sent out, I'm sure, by Judith. But, um, but he had written us all saying, well, now I'm gone and such and such. Um, uh, so he was preparing all of us for that, uh, which is very Renee-like. I think that's one of the things that I really love to hear. And, and, and even the sad stories like that is a lot of times you hear that, you know, sometimes cast members don't get along good. I mean, there's, there's, there's all kinds of stories about the original cast and so forth, but it really seems like like the deep space nine cast really was close in, in every facet, all the different, all the different people involved, of course, the Frankie family and, and you and Renee. And, and that's something that I've always loved. And it's nice to see that that's continuing in the, in the current iterations of Star Trek. It seems that a lot of the cast are very close uh, and do a lot of things together when there's no pandemic going on. So that's always great to see. I'm glad to hear that. Certainly our cast uh, was close. We didn't hobnob together. Renee and I did. And of course, <laughs> Sadig and, and Nada did. They got married. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and job. Um, so there was some hobnobbing going on. But uh, but we didn't, like the next generation, We unlike the next generation, we didn't go out for drinks afterwards. We didn't, we didn't party together that much. Mm-hmm. Um, when asked about that, I, I think the reason is we were an older cast, uh, by and large. I mean, there were young people, of course. And, but by and large, we were older. And therefore, we had families to go back to when our work was done. Yep. And uh, uh, so we didn't spend a lot of time. I must say, for the most part, uh, there are wonderful uh, reunions at conventions when we all get together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then it's a love fest. It truly is a love fest. And, and, and back in those days, I don't know if it's still the same now, but we've heard stories that you were putting in, you know, with makeup and everything, you're putting in, what, 20-hour days sometimes? Well, and you're doing 26 episodes? Of, yeah. We did 26 episodes, which is true, and that's a lot of episodes for the TV season. Um, I, I probably as much makeup time as anyone in my days uh, were normally, uh, if it was a full day, it would be about 16 hours, which would include the makeup time. Yeah. Um, I, I think Andy Robinson um, and the Cardassians may have had a longer time of it than Ferengi did. And, and what Michael Dorn will tell you he had a long time, but that's bullshit. He didn't. Um, <laughs> um, but 16 hours. Uh, but, but the nice thing about our show was that the writers very quickly learned that uh, each one of us was more than capable of, of shouldering an episode. And so what happened pretty early, very quickly, I think, they began to rotate um, who had the leading role in an episode, you know, episode by episode. So that, yes, in the Ferengi episodes, I'm working eight days. That's the, that's the work week. Yep. But, I'm, but on the other ones, on a, on a Cisco episode, you know, I do one, one day and God knows maybe it's only an hour and a half. Right. And, uh, and so I had time off. So it, it sort of evened out. Okay. So... 
So maybe this is a good segue into the next thing that I was going to ask you is on those days or on those weeks that maybe you weren't doing as much in front of the camera. Is that, that you're doing Buffy. Yes. Is that also where you started getting the idea of starting writing where the 34th, uh, the 34th rule came about? Um, and, and then what you've been doing since then with your writings. Sure. Thank you for that segue. Um, yes. Um, uh, it wasn't so much that I had the time off the right, but rather um, there are long waits between takes, between setups, uh, between scenes sometimes. And so um, after a while, I got bored with watching TV and I was sitting in my trailer with really nothing to do. And I began to just write. I was fortunate. My whole life is about being in the right place at the right time. And uh, at a convention, I don't remember where, I happened to be sitting next to a publisher and he asked me if I would uh, be willing to take part in in writing uh, a novel with another writer and um, I always wanted to be a writer. If I hadn't been an actor, I probably would have been a teacher and if I hadn't been an actor and a teacher, I probably would have been a writer. But um, he asked me, I said yes. And I began to, uh, we worked out a, um, a, a timeline for the, for the novel, and I began to write for the novel. So it, it wasn't on my days off, actually. It was in my days waiting for my, my work to show up that I began to write in my trailer. Um, and then it, it sort of took over, um, and I began to write whenever I had time. So again, on my days off, I began to do that. But it started working by working in my trailer. I actually just purchased the 34th rule today, right before we came upstairs to record. And it must be interesting to be able to write a novel about the character that you played for so many years, because you've got some pretty insightful, you know, ideas probably going in your head. Yes. Two things about that novel. First of all, its original uh, concept was not to be a novel. It was an episode we pitched to Deep Space Nine for them to pick up and, and, and write and, and film eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, they decided not to do that. In uh, despondently, as the three of us who pitched the episode walked out of the offices, knowing full well they hadn't picked it up, two of us, Brian George and I, decided maybe uh, he was already writing novels, and we decided that we would um, we wouldn't write it into a novel. So we did do that, um, and we hashed out the timeline. We hashed out the what we wanted to say, we hashed out what the story would be about. And here's where I sort of um, shatter some of your illusions. But David, and I don't think I've ever admitted this uh, publicly before, but David wrote every word of that novel. Oh, okay. So, uh, yes, I had input into the character. <laughs> yes, I had input into what the plot was going to be. But not a word of it is mine. Um, and uh, it's my name on the, t- on the book. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Bill Shatner's name on his books too. So. <laughs> it's and that happens. I mean, you know, it's it, it, that seems to be a common practice. Um, if memory serves, and I don't, I don't want to say that I remember this off the top of my head, but I believe the thirty fourth rule is war is good for business. Uh, yes, I think so. Uh, yeah, this thirty fourth rule of war is good for business. Yes, absolutely. Good for you. Good wow. for you. Yeah, right up there, the old steel trap. Yeah. yeah, what's the other one? Always suck up to the boss. 
Yeah. Okay. That's the other <laughs> one. A little brunt there for you. I must um, say, Max Kudenchik knows them all by heart. He always <laughs> he knows all of them, all of them, and he can tell you the numbers and all kinds. Oh my gosh, that's nuts! Don't ask him about baseball stats. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, so you just released a couple of books, and if I if those I wrote, those I wrote. <laughs> yes, that you did that you did write, and and correct me, I believe that it's a trilogy. So books one and two are out now, and tell us a little bit about. Illyria. Um, I've never read books that take place during this time frame. And pull me in, man. I want to uh, tell me why I want to read this because I'm interested. Have you ever seen a Shakespearean play? Um, in high school, you saw. I think. Do you remember yeah. which one it was? I want to say Macbeth. Macbeth. Okay, then yes. Yeah. I think it's the shortest of Shakespeare's plays. Why not? Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, I am a Shakespeare scholar, uh, Twelfth Night, one of Shakespeare's plays, uh, takes place on an island called Illyria. Okay. So that's where the title of the books are. Um, going back between, well, uh, well, actually 34th Rule was after, but be- before the 34th Rule, I was, uh, I did write, this is where I was writing my trailer, uh, a, a trilogy, uh, called The Merchant Prince, mm-hmm. which uh, deals with a man named John Dee, who was a, uh, a very interesting character in Elizabethan times. Um, but what the publisher wanted, this is the publisher that sat next to me when I was uh, at the convention. Yeah, He really wanted a character that was based on Quark. And so uh, although John Dee is the, t- is the name of the character, the characteristics were all Quark-like. Oh. Um, and as I wrote those novels, I felt that I was betraying, and I did more and more research into who this man was, this John D, Dr. John D, who was a mystic and, and uh, did a lot of incredibly wonderful and, and phenomenal things. But I began to realize I was doing him a disservice by not writing about him, but writing about Quark with his name uh, as the character. Mm-hmm. So I swore to myself, and more importantly, I swore to the ghost of John D that I would write a series of books about him. And I have done enough research over the course of my life to know John Dee pretty well now. So what these books are is a combination. It's a, it's a sort of a time travel thing, although it's not science fiction. It's probably better described as historical mystery or historical politics. Um, and what I've done in Illyria is meld a lot of very real historical people, including William Shakespeare, um, and the characters of Twelfth Night, who are, of course, fictional, mm-hmm. and, and weave them into a political uh, uh, plot about who is loyal to Queen Elizabeth. Understand that at this time, we hear about Mary Old England, and since you're not familiar with this period, um, I will tell you that w- one of the primary things that was happening during Merry Old England was enormous religious battle, similar to the Shia and the Sunni in Iraq, mm-hmm. between the Protestants and the Catholics. We, we know Elizabeth's uh, uh, younger sister, older sister, Queen Mary, who's called Bloody Mary. That's her title that we know her by. She's called Bloody Mary because she killed off a lot of Protestants. Well, lo and behold, uh, you know, it's the victors who write history. Elizabeth could be called Bloody Elizabeth 
because she killed off Catholics. Okay. Um, so this fight, this religious war that's going on in England that many people died for, including one of Shakespeare's relatives, um, is what I'm interested in. So my novels are, again, about melding history and fiction together, dealing with the religious tumult of the times. And, and there's a lot of humor in the books as well. Um, but it's, it's, it's trying to be true to Dr. John Dee and the life that he was actually living. Okay. But it is a mystery, and it has twi- twists and turns. And, and what I hope for people who read the book that um, they'll be intrigued. And everyone who's read it so far has been kind enough to tell me that they have been. And they also say this, which is gratifying. They learned more about this period than they ever had before. That's what got, that was going to be my question, is am I going to learn stuff? Because I've seen people yeah. posting on Twitter that they're reading it and they're loving it and you're responding to them. So that was going to be my question. So that makes me want to, uh, to yeah, check you, them out even more. That's why I call it, a, that's why I started by calling it a time machine. Because you, you actually... Everything in the book, as far as I, and as far as I know, I could have made some mistakes. Everything is historically correct, except for the fictional characters <laughs> who come out of twelve. Dan, it's so cute. You think you're going to learn something because you can't read. I mean, you certainly can't well, write. Well, then I'll just do the audio. Yeah, that, that's fair. <laughs> you know, I have an audio uh, version of the book. I didn't do it. I'm not very good at that sort of thing. But Ramon Diacampo was a good friend and an award winner for doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah tons of awards for doing books on tape. He, uh, for, so if you don't want to read it and you want to listen to Ramon, who is phenomenal, he makes my book sound better than it is. And it's already good. Um, <laughs> I recommend Ramon's audio to you. So there, I, Bill. I actually, I prefer to consume audio books now in, in my fifties because I find that if I read things, I don't retain them nearly as well as if I listen to them. Um, and Ramon does a great job. So for people who are interested, you can certainly buy it in amazon.com. I think the better deal, though, is to go directly to my publisher, which is Jumpmaster Press. So www.jumpmasterpress.com, where they have lots of writers. And uh, and if you look for my book or just put my name in, you'll get Illyria. The first one is The Betrayal of Angels, and the second one is The Sea of Troubles. And the third one I'm writing right now, I was writing it this afternoon. Oh, there you go. Excellent. We'll be sure to put a link to that in the show notes so that people can access it. Uh, more easily. So I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out myself um, because I don't, although I've seen more Shakespeare than Dan, I absolutely am not nearly as familiar with the era. So um, well, I've, I've made a career out of doing Shakespeare. So did Renee. Yep. And, and so that was one of the things that bound us together. Uh, our swapping of stories about Shakespearean productions and actors that we've worked with. So, you know, Armin, one of the things that we were incredibly grateful for uh, as Trek geeks, uh, uh, producing the Trek Talks live stream to benefit the Hollywood Food Coalition was the participation from you and your wonderful wife, Kitty Swink, um, in our Trektivism panel to talk about the Pancreatic Cancer uh, Network, uh, PanCan. Um, and I, it was through that panel that I actually learned quite a bit about, or quite a bit more about PanCan. How did you guys become involved with now what is being referred to as the Trek Against Pancreatic Cancer? Right. Um, Well, it started off badly. Um, At 50, my wife was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and it came as a shock. Uh, The the, uh, diagnosis came in less than 24 hours from her first symptoms, and uh, uh, that 
those two words, pancreatic cancer, you know, puts the shock up your spine. Um, and luckily for us, um, she had a phenomenal surgeon, uh, a phenomenal oncologist, and uh, like myself, turned out to be enormously lucky. Um, when Kitty had, when was diagnosed 18 years ago, uh, the survival rate was 4%. Last year, the survival rate was 10%. And thanks to the efforts of PanCan, it is now 11%. Now that 1% seem like much, but if you look at it a different way, it's a 10% improvement. Mm-hmm. You go from 10 to 11, that's 1, 1 out of 10 is 10%. Yeah. Uh, that's not fooling with the numbers, that's a huge percentage. So, um, Kitty, of course, being a survivor, was often asked to speak at PanCan events. And she often went with a lady who became, uh, it's ironic because, uh, well, the, the lady is, is Charlotte Ray. I hope people remember her from Facts of Life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, Charlotte was recommended to Kitty uh, that Kitty could be, this is the way we put it, will be the rabbi for Charlotte, that she would get her through the crisis. So um, Charlotte was often the main speaker, but Kitty was there as well. And when Charlotte passed away in her 90s, um, the PanCamp people came to Kitty and asked, would she be a primary speaker? Because what's great about Kitty, besides her speaking ability, which is really quite marvelous, much better than mine, um, is that her story is about hope. Her story is, I survived, you can too. Um, people don't, it isn't a death sentence per se, the odds are bad, but people do survive. And, and the procedure that Kitty had, uh, is called a Whipple. And, uh, as far as I know, the Whipple is the primary way of saving someone who has pancreatic cancer. It's a massive piece of surgery. And during the course of Kitty's procedure 18 years ago, um, it was touch and go. Um, we were getting reports that she's not doing well, she's doing better. Oh, she's not doing well, she's doing better. And eventually, uh, um, we lucked out. And it is luck. I mean, we had great surgeons and a medical team, but in Kitty's case, it was luck. Um, and, and, uh, and so Kitty's raison d'etre for doing these things is to give people hope and to say, we can get through this. And, uh, and you need to keep that hope because it's not just hope. It's about the people you keep around you. Kitty always says that her friends made it possible for her to survive. Um, and, um, and so we want to give back to as, as many people as we can because we were lucky enough to survive this. She was. Um, and we want to make people have hope and survive. I think it's it's fantastic that you're doing something. The the passion that John and Dave have for Hollywood Food Coalition is one thing. Seeing the passion that you and Kitty have, and especially with Kitty being a survivor, um, with PanCan uh, was was extremely moving to Bill and I watching uh, what what was taking place um, a couple of weeks ago. Of course, Jonathan Frakes is also involved in this with you. He lost his brother to pancreatic cancer. He lost his brother. His brother went very very quickly because yeah. unfortunately, when you're diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It's usually in the late stages of cancer. 
Yeah. Symptoms don't show up until the very end. And so you don't even know you're sick, even though it's eating away at you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jonathan's brother went rather quickly. And, and as the story that Jonathan told and tells often is that after his brother died, uh, his mother, Jonathan's mother and he, uh, Jonathan, uh, were bound even closer because she was always asking after Kitty. And Jonathan was telling his mother, oh, my friend Kitty's doing fine. And that made Jonathan's mother feel better. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I um, I actually lost my father-in-law to pancreatic cancer. Um, the anniversary of his death will be three years this Valentine's Day. Um, so it holds a very special place for me too, Armin. And, and seeing you and Kitty talk about this and reading about it, um, especially after the Trek... Uh, a Trek Against Pancreatic Cancer came out last year. Uh, I'm very happy to say, and you may know this because I saw Kitty tweet about it yesterday. Uh, Bill and I joined your team yesterday um, okay. as Trek geeks. And Bill and I each made a $200 contribution today um, mm-hmm. to PanCan because we feel that 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 it, it, it needs to be done. I did it in the memory of my father-in-law, Doug. I'm very proud to do it. And I'm very proud to also be involved with this with you. I'm hoping that when I talk to Frakes next time, if he's ever um, going to be on the East Coast again for, a, for a, a significant amount of time, that possibly we can conjure up something to do to raise money for PanCan. So maybe we'll be able to do something in the Boston area or Portland, Maine or something like that. But it, that is something that I do want to, to work on so that as part of your team now, we can we can uh, help bring more awareness to this and, and also bring in more money for the for the organization. Thank you, Dan. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Not only do I thank you for Kitty and I and Jonathan and, and John Billingsley, too, who lost his mother to pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but for all the people that you're helping to save, you are PanCan is a huge organization that uh, has branches all over the country. I don't know if they have them uh, outside of the country, but they do in this country. And in April, we'll have something called Purple Stride, where uh, every city will have a march for pancreatic cancer. Um, and we are raising money for Purple Stride and for pancreatic cancer. That 1% bump that I talked about that happened this year, a lot of that is due to PanCan. Mm-hmm. And um, and they not only look for a cure, they, they spread the knowledge that they've accumulated with, uh, with doctors so the doctors can treat their patients better. And, and perhaps almost as important is that families, friends uh, who have uh, members of the family or friends who are diagnosed with, uh, with pancreatic cancer, there's a support system to get the, those people through to help their sick ones get through what they're going through. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I believe for Purple Strides, I believe that's an event that takes place in cities all over the country. Okay. And I believe in L.A. it's at the Los Angeles Zoo. Is that right? It may be. Uh, the reason I'm not really 100% sure of that, okay. that uh, in April I will be in Kansas City. And so I, I've already told them I can't walk in Los Angeles, so I haven't I haven't put it in my calendar. Um, but uh, I know Kitty will be there. Jonathan will probably be there. A lot of other Star Trek people probably will be there. Um because we're a tight-knit group, the Star Trek people, there will be a lot of people from Star Trek marching for Kitty and other people as well. Well, I tell you what, Armin, since we're part of the team now, um, and Dan, I'm going to surprise you with this because oh you don't know this. We like to do this <laughs> to each other. This is how we got involved in a telethon, by the way. Um, if team, if Trek geeks can raise $2,500 to add to the team, we'll fly out to L.A. for the Purple Strides event and we'll walk with everybody in your place. Great, great. Uh, I'll make sure that Kitty meets up with you. You guys can all walk together. I love awesome. it. 
And That'd then be fantastic. And instead of meeting him in New York, you'll see Frank Sinella in LA. He's going oh, to deny I, was just kidding. Ever... I don't really want to see Frank. No, <laughs> he couldn't pick us out of a crowd. That's fine. <laughs> if, maybe if I wear the same shirt. Just to put it all together, um, I've known Frakes longer than I know my wife, and I've been married for 40 years. Uh, Frakes and I um, were in a small theater group together in 1977, um, and, and uh, we've known each other a very long time. And in fact, Jonathan was the last person to convince me to take the part of Quark. Now, really? I went, I went to Jonathan and said, uh, you know, I'm not really sure I can deal with this makeup for as long as I have to deal with it. And uh, and he spent about a half an hour convincing me to do it. Um, it wasn't until later on I found out what a good friend he was with Richard, excuse me, with Rick Berman. And um, and then obviously he was, he was uh, helping his friend Rick get who he wanted. But... Um, uh, but Frank was the last person to was the last uh, person to convince me to to take the part. That actually takes did. me on a on a tangent before Dan wraps it up. So obviously, then you've you, I know Jonathan has directed several episodes of Deep Space Nine. I know the Next Generation cast talks about him as a director's director and how they love working with him. I would imagine that the same would be true for for you to have the ability to work with your longtime friend. Yeah, jo- Jonathan. Uh, we were talking about Aaron earlier about the joy that he brought to his set. One of the great fortes of Jonathan Frakes' direction, besides being enormously knowledgeable, he makes it look very easy. But what also he does, he brings joy to the set. Everyone is laughing all day long. That doesn't happen on TV shows. And, and, and Jonathan is aware of everybody, aware of what their work is, pushes them to their full potential, and makes them laugh at the same time. He is a great, great director, and his pictures and and his uh, his attitude towards shooting is wonderful. We call him Two Takes Breaks because uh, you know he he only he gets it in two takes, and and if it isn't perfect, fine, it will fix it in in post. And as opposed to some directors um, who will do 25, 30, 40 takes, and uh, and that that gets to be a little tired on a long day. I can imagine. Uh, well, it, it's 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 funny, Armin, because as I've said before, um, watching what took place during the event, uh, the Trek Talks event, watching the passion that people like you and Kitty and, and and Billingsley have, and watching those videos, it makes Bill and I uh, feel that it's it's our our obligation and our duty to use these microphones for good to talk about the future that Gene envisioned for everybody. And so we are honored to be part of, of PanCan and Hollywood Food Coalition. And, and we look forward to um, to whatever that may bring us in the future. Um, but I wanted to wrap up tonight with something that people who listen to the show are probably tired of me talking about it, but I feel that it's something that I need to do for everyone who is involved, not only in Star Trek, but specifically Deep Space Nine. And uh, I want to say thank you to you and to the entire cast, because if it was not for deep space nine, I would not be alive today. There was, there was a moment uh, in late 1999 and 2000 where my life had spiraled out of control. And I literally was sitting in a room one night with a gun in my mouth with the hammer cocked and I was ready to kill myself. But there was an episode of deep space nine that I had put on in my VCR and it was just playing. And it was the episode first season episode captive pursuit with Tosk. 
and um <clears throat> and o'brien and there was a specific scene i was it was i was ready to do it and there was a scene where tosk and o'brien were talking about the importance of life and doing everything they could to save each other and if it was not for that moment i would not be here so i feel that it is um only fitting to thank every actor who was involved in specifically deep space nine but also star trek because i'm an example that star trek really does save lives so from the bottom of my heart and my wife's heart who i met afterwards and now my life is fantastic i would go through it all again thank you thank you dan that is a very moving story my god um um i will pass that on to my friends as well um, thank you that is uh so glad you chose the right way to go. Yes. Um, and, and and knowing that we had something to do with it, oh, my God. Uh, uh, we, we never know what we do. We stand in front of the camera and say lines and try to do right. as we can. We have no idea what the repercussions, what the reverberations are. This is the most prof- one of the most profound reverberations I've ever heard. Thank you. I, I was I was able to come full circle a few years ago because I was able to um, – to meet calm at, at the uh, anniversary convention in Vegas. And I almost missed it because my plane was running late, but some friends who were already in Vegas scrambled to talk to people. So I was able to go backstage and talk to him and thank him. And then the following year, I was actually able to meet Scott McDonald and thank him for his role as Tosk. So um, it, it really is an honor talking to people that w- were responsible for saving my life. And you're one of them, man. I got to say. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad you did what you did. And didn't do what you did. <laughs> have done. Uh, life is very, very precious. Yes. We've been talking about pancam. Mm-hmm. Life is very, very precious. To throw it away, even in, in when it's miserable, yep. is a tragedy. And it's, it's always been difficult to talk about. Um, we did an episode on it a few years back about what happened with me, but as embarrassing as it is, and as something that, uh, that is still to this day, makes me nervous. The human condition, we get to a place where life is unbearable. It, 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 it it weighs heavy. You cannot get up in the morning. What's the point of going on? Right. Um, and, and the thing is, it's not just about you. It's about the people around you. It's about the future people around you, like your wife, who you didn't know. Exactly. Making sure that your the essence of what you are goes on and and helps other people and now that's what you're doing both of you you're helping other people and and what better that would not have happened if you had chosen the other route exactly one of the things that bill and i talked about before we decided to do an episode on it was you know are you ready for this dan i said yeah because if I, if my words can help one person who's feeling the same way that I did, then it'll all be worth it. And we have gotten feedback that that has actually happened. Uh, so it's worth it. And like I said a moment ago, I mean, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be here. So you always have my eternal thanks. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. Dan. I, I have one more quick question that almost, I, I forgot to ask you and I'll make it real quick before we let you go. I know that uh, Star Trek mission Chicago is coming up in April. And of course, uh, Star Trek Las Vegas in August. Uh, will we see you at either or both potentially? Um, I, as you said, Chicago's in April, right? Yes. Okay. So uh, I can't do that from March until the beginning of July. I will be in Kansas city doing a play. Oh, very nice. So, uh, nice. Uh, the days off for Mondays, which are not convention days. <laughs> so uh, I cannot go to Chicago as much as I'd like to. Um, I believe uh, I 
I believe that I've been invited to Vegas. I think I have. And so uh, I probably will be there unless something comes up. But uh, I've been to most of the Vegas ones. Not uh, Usually I've spent many days there. Sometimes it's only one day. Sometimes it's a couple hours. But I, I think I've been to most of them. Um, and I always enjoy it. It's, it's great to see people smiling. And, and the great thing about, about Star Trek that Dan touched upon just now, it's about hope. So walking the halls and seeing people having a good time, their kids having a good time, um, and that hope is everywhere, um, uh, I bask in that because I had a little bit to do with that. Not necessarily Quark, but just being part of the franchise. And and that's something, that hope that we'll be back to normal. We haven't been to Vegas in two years because of the pandemic, so we're looking forward to doing it. We're going to be going into Chicago. Good luck on your play, uh, and, and we hope that uh, we will see you in Vegas. Folks, his name is Armin Shimmerman. He will always be our beloved Quark from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And Armin, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for this. This was a joy. Wow, that's amazing because most people don't say that. (laughs) Most people are stupid. (laughs) Well, Dan, that conversation... I, I tell you what, it's uh, it, it's going to live with me for a long time. It was such an awesome hour to spend with Armin. I'm so grateful for his time, and uh, uh, we're going to get to talk to him again, hopefully very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it really was one of those eye-opening um, discussions. Hearing the story about about Kitty was was very personal um, for him to tell, and and it really struck a chord. and And I'm looking forward to meeting him. Hopefully, we'll be able to see him in Vegas because I, I want to shake his hand and thank him for everything that he's done, not only for Star Trek but for the world because of the the good work that he's doing. and And as we talked about, Bill, we are now part of PanCam. We joined their team, the Trek Against Pancreatic Cancer. Um, I lost my father-in-law to pancreatic cancer. Um, uh, Kitty, of course, is a, a a survivor of it, which is amazing when you think that the um, survival rate at the time she had it was like not even 10%. Um, just amazing. Jonathan Frakes lost his brother to it. And of course, so many millions of people have been affected by it that, that we're now proud to be part of that organization. And you can check out our page, um, on the pancreatic, uh, the PanCan website very easily because we set it up so that you can do it with just a, just a click of a mouse. It's really, really? easy, Bill. You want me to tell you yeah. how to do it? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> everyone would love to hear how you can do it with just the mouse, but you might want to use the keyboard Yeah, you too. do have to use the keyboard a little bit too. Yeah, I yeah. kind of screwed that up. Anyway, yeah, if you go to trekgeeks.com slash PanCan, that's going to bring you to our page, uh, our, our, our fundraising page uh, at the PanCan website. We are teamed up with Kitty and Armin and Jonathan in the team called Trek Against Pancreatic Cancer. Uh, we're very honored and proud and excited to be part of this. Um, so yeah, so check it out. If you feel like donating, great. If not, tell your friends about it, uh, and it's for a worthy cause. Because that's what we're doing now on Trek Geeks, Bill. We've talked about it with Hollywood Food Coalition. And now this. There are so many things that we can do to help uh, people, not only in, in the United States, but across the globe. And uh, and we feel that it's our duty to do that. That's trekgeeks.com slash P-A-N-C-A-N. And that'll take you right to our donation page on the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network Purple Strides website. Um, you know, small, small dollar donations go a long way. You know, we understand that not everybody can afford a hundred bucks. We're not asking for a hundred bucks. If you can spare five bucks, you know, 10 bucks, whatever, 
um, that will go a long way to to helping you know uh, advance the research and the work that's being done to fight pancreatic cancer. Um, so that's trekgeeks.com slash pancan. We'd love to have your support. And if you're not able to, please, you know, share the, the URL so that people can find out about it. And like we said, if we're able to raise a, you know, a decent enough sum of money, we'll fly out to LA and, and do the walk with, with Kitty and everybody else that's assembled there in Los Angeles. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. I love it. I love it too. Um, you know, Dan, an episode of Trek Geeks wouldn't be complete without that King five-year mission. Oh, Five amazing guys, so many amazing songs, all about Star Trek, this franchise that we love. They're writing one original song for each episode of the original series. And uh, it's like we tell people so often, these are not song parodies. These are new ways to look at these episodes that we've loved for so long. And it, it really is some amazing work. So we want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net, get their CDs, ship those bad boys to your house. Become a huge fan of 5YM because we are fans ourselves, and pretty soon you're going to be able to hear a live album from them, which is even cooler. That's absolutely Who doesn't love live albums? Absolutely fantastic. And as we record this, just yesterday or maybe the day before, time flies when you're having fun. I saw that they were actually recording a new episode for their very own podcast, so you're going to be able to hear them here on the network very soon with their latest episode. They have a podcast? What's it called? Oh, I have no idea. Something like the Five-Year Mission Podcast? It's a really brilliantly titled one. Uh, you're so close. Mm. Um, I don't pay attention. I, I'm aware. It's, it's only five on year your network. Podcast. Yeah. I threw the the in the wrong place, and that's not really even a word, so it doesn't matter. Come on. Your face doesn't matter. Wow. Well, okay. Well, on that note, you'll be very happy with what I have to say now. So <laughs> I've decided to give your ears a rest this week, buddy. Oh, thank the maker. I, I know that it's going to be sad for millions of our listeners who love my Farkisms every week. Millions? But, yeah. But there is no Farkism this week, my friend. Well, not really. Kind of, but not really. Does that make sense? Let me explain. I, I can't wait for this. <laughs> I am so proud to announce to everyone here today on the show that I'm going to let our listeners choose an upcoming Farkism for a future episode. That's right. And here comes the Farkism that really isn't a Farkism this week. It's called the Dan's Farking Great Farkism Contest for a Farking Cool Prize. Wow. Yeah. You put some thought behind that. Yeah, yeah, you did. I did. And you put some good writing into it also. Um, so that's right. You, the listeners, are going to be able to choose a Farkism for me. And if I select your Farkism for the show, you're going to win a 50 $50 gift card to fan sets. That's amazing. You heard me right, 50 bucks. That's how important Farkisms are, my friend. So it's really easy to do. Just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contest and fill out the form with your Farkism. And over the course of the next couple weeks, I'm going to review all of your awesome entries because I know they're all going to be awesome. And I'm going to select one lucky winner for a great prize to be forever enshrined in the Farkism Hall of Fame along with me. And oh yeah, that $50 gift card thing too. So don't forget, that's trekgeeks.com slash contest. Fark, before you ask, you're not eligible. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I know he's he probably, gonna listen to this. He probably would come up with a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I I think he should stick to Danisms. Okay. Quite frankly. Okay. Those um, but bad. yeah, so you could write a Farkism. Go to trekgeeks.com slash contest. You can submit your Farkism and it's important. Don't just give us the pun. Right. Give us the story. Dan mm. comes up with these descriptions of the episodes he finds in his sort of mirror Fark universe. Um, so 
put some thought behind it, you could wind up with 50 bucks worth of fansets gear. That's not a bad deal. And the Farkism Hall of Fame. Don't forget that. That's very important. Do I have to create a webpage for this? Um, it may already be there. I don't Thanks. think it is. It's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't forget, you two can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network by subscribing to us on Patreon. We can get all kinds of perks, Dan, and uh, raw audio. Raw audio is always good because I always screw up. and But now most of the time, you don't even cut that out of the final uh, copy. So, yeah, raw audio. Ooh. Anyway, uh, we want to take a moment right now to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. And they are Vikram Bhatt, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Patrick Escudero, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Jonathan Hamilton, Peter Hong, William Jackson, Ryan Jeffs, John Krikorian, Sean Lynn, Rick Mason, Jamie McGregor, Ross McKinney, Alan Molenkoff, Aaron, excuse me, Aaron Molenkoff, Casey Pettit, Helen Reed, Sarah Rutlinger, Tim Robertson, Greg Rozier, Eric Sakian, Adam Sanders, Tim Serdar, Heather Sohn, Blake Strike, Rick Tatro, Lisa Tomlinson, Ron Robell, and the gracious and wonderful Connie Hodgson's. You okay? There? That is awesome. You're doing a great <laughs> job. It's amazing how you can have the words right in front of you and still not read them. Well, see, I've that's the problem. The that. list is, get, it's not a problem. Believe me. The list is so long. I kite, my eyes kind of start jumping around and I just, every once in a, every once in a while. I will make it a little slip up. Right. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks <laughs> producers for their support. They are Mike Bovia, Jazz Bradshaw, Kyle Castillo, Peter Craig, Andy Davenport, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Kimberly Hartman, David Hood, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonagall. Uh, I said Lionel's name wrong Boom. again. There, your fault too. <laughs> no, because normally the person who writes this list puts the phonetic spelling in when it's different and never did it for this. Because I remember it. It's because you met him. Continuing. Continue along. Sorry. Let me back up. <laughs> Lionel Macron, Matt McGonagall, and I know I said Matt's name right, Jim McMahon, Darren Metcalf, Charlie Mulvey, Sean O'Halloran, Jamie Rogers, Casey Shafsky, Jim Stoffel, Chris Trebuzio, Ken Tripp, Christina Werther, and the lovely and talented Jazz Fashion. Dan, the senior producer of Trek Geeks, is the terrifically terrific Jude Tatman. I hope he's like caught up in his sleep after being up for like 20 straight hours watching the- uh Hollywood Food Coalition thing last month. We've got to talk to his parent. <laughs> yeah. What parenting is that letting your child stay? Well, it's for Trek Geek, so I guess it's okay. And it was for Hollywood Food Coalition, so that seemed better. Yeah. That's true. That's <laughs> no, we're just point. kidding, Kate. We love you. <laughs> Dan, next time on Trek Geeks in two weeks, we're going to have some very special guests to celebrate a very special anniversary. Yeah, uh, very special, my friend. You know, it's hard to believe that these wonderful women joined our network a year ago this very month. And next time we sit down on Trek Geeks, we are proud to welcome the Sci-Fi Sisters to the show to talk about the past year on the network, the awesome things that they've been doing on their show, and their fandom. It's all next time on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Looking forward to that one because they are just so amazing. And uh, it's good to uh, to join the, the mothership with the flagship. It's going to yes. be a great time. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts on the network, like the Sci-Fi Sisters. We have so many fantastic shows created by passionate fans who just want to celebrate Star Trek and Gene's vision. You can find all our podcasts in the free Trek Geeks mobile app or get a link to your favorite podcast player by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. The Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No one, dare I say no one, talks Trek like we do. No one. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 276 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. 
coconut. Nobody's going to hear that. Coconut. <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing an original song for each episode of Star Trek. Hear more of their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producers Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. For more great Star Trek discussion, discover the other shows of the Trek Geeks podcast network at trekgeeks.com or find us in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's all I hear now when I yes, watch. You're welcome. When I watch Star Wars. Yes, you're welcome. And I'm sorry, it's not A New Hope. It's not no, episode Star four. Wars. It's Star Wars. Yeah, I agree. But now you hear it all. This, it was in, I think it was in Boba Fett one episode, this this series. I've only seen the first episode of Boba Fett. Okay. So I was not wowed. It gets so better. I haven't gone back to it yet. It gets better, but there are a couple things that I'm kind of scratching my head on, and the finale is available right now as we record this very minute on Disney+. Plus. But for all the people who are going to go, but that's the name of the franchise. It's called A New Hope. It was not in May of not 1977. Originally. No. There was no episode four. Um, there was no subtitle. The only thing that you saw, it was Star Wars, but then when the scroll came across, it was episode four, but that's not what was on the posters. It wasn't until it was at, at, in home video. Really? Yep. I thought it was. Okay. That was, that was a long nope. time ago. I can't remember what I did 30 seconds ago, so that makes sense. Nope. All right. Well, good then. Good for you, Mr. Movie uh, Man. Mr. Yeah, Movie Man think, of Star Trek. I think even possibly when it hit HBO in 1980, that was added. Yeah. Um, uh, and Greedo shooting I'm going to Google this now. Post, maybe. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, in the And this is according to StarWars.com. Mm-hmm. So this is the source on this this factoid. Okay. Um, the in the original May 1977 release of Star Wars, the opening crawl did not feature an episode number or the subtitle "A New Hope." Okay. Those would be added with the film's April 10th, 1981 theatrical re-release. Well, there you go. So it was added four years later after Empire had already been out. Episode four, four years later. <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> wow. Well, that's I, I didn't see you're just a you're just a uh, a cornucopia of trivia. I'm sorry. Say that word again. A cornucopia. Cornucopia. Corn- have you always said it that way? I, I have always said it that way. What's okay. what's your pronunciation? Cornucopia. Cornucopia. Okay. It could just be a wrong vowel thrown in there. I play Wordle. That's the right vowel. I just think you went for the long version. As <laughs> oh, 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 oh. See, now, see, now I got to check that on dictionary.com to see how it's uh, uh, said. So I'll do that because you were typing. A I'm amazed ago. that you even know dictionary.com. <laughs> <laughs> but I spelled it wrong. Oh, no, I didn't. Okay, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's A-R-Y. <laughs> just to clear, clarify. Cornucopia. Okay, so it is a small. So, okay, so I've been saying it wrong for 50, 
some odd years because I don't think I was saying it when I was one or two. So I'll just go with that. <laughs> I, so, you know, you leave me so many inroads. <laughs> and sometimes oh. when I just, you know, when I take a pass ball, it's. Uh, Those inroads, they can be tough because it's it's been a long shot road. Your face. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, seven hello. years. Seven years of yeah, doing this. Oh my God. I just started year eight. And crazy. I'm why crazy talks. This. Why we ever do this. And it's not getting any better or worse, whichever way you want to look at it. Oh, no, it's getting much worse. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, so, how's the puppy? She is amazing. That's awesome. Um, you know, it's it, last time we talked about how Isabella needed us. And for those who may not have heard the outtake on the last episode, um, if one, if you're not listening to the outtakes, you're really missing some yeah, what, gold. What's wrong with you? I know. What, what the hell? Um, oh. But l- last time I mentioned that my wife and I had uh, adopted a six or seven year old pocket pit bull. Uh, she's about 40 pounds. Um, she is a bundle of love and energy mm-hmm. and light. And we knew that she needed us, but we weren't aware until over the last couple of weeks that we absolutely needed her. There you go. She was, she's the right speed for us right now. Awesome. I'm so happy to hear that, man. She, everybody at the vet office, because she had her first vet appointment with our vet today, mm-hmm. they absolutely adored her. Nice. Um, she's just, she is dog aggressive. So unfortunately, there have been things that have happened to her in her life that have led to that aggression. Yeah, yeah. We're mitigating that as best we can. Yep. Um, you know, we, we're we used to dealing with that. Yep. Oh, well, that, we had that with Callie. Callie, we don't put her around other dogs. Um, she yeah. can only be around Aria and Lily, pretty much. That's it. So, But she, Isabella loves humans. Mm-hmm. Like her bum just starts to wiggle, like, and then her whole body starts wiggling. I'm gonna do that result. when I meet her. I'm gonna start wiggling my bum, hey. <laughs> dude. I, I've known you for 25 years. That doesn't take much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Dan is now muted so he can cough to death because he wasn't expecting. That. Oh, okay, I'm good. <laughs> well, you're tolerable, Beth. Tolerable, yes, tolerable. Anyway, so so I'm in the I'm in the process of. Uh, of burning grim the entire Blu-ray set yes. video. And we're still, we're watching it again. I think I told this before, but we're taking our time, but we're in, God, what, it's, it might be my second favorite show ever. Really? It is so awesome. We might start watching it again when we're done watching it. We've already talked about that. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I guess I understand that now because my wife and I are in a continual rewatch of The Office mm-hmm. pretty much and have been for the last three years. Yes. So I understand this. It's just it's just so good. The stories are so well written and and we enjoy it so much. And speaking of the office, I I might be getting Sue to come around a little bit. It it may be happening. I'm I'm trying. It's baby steps because you know you don't want to you don't want to push her away. But uh, we were flipping through the stations the other night and and we're where the office is on and it was just the beginning of the episode with the George Foreman grill when when Michael burnt <laughs> his foot. <laughs> you cooked your foot. And she was laughing a lot, which she normally will not do when the when the office is on. She's like usually rolling her eyes because Michael is cringeworthy. Um, so I just think that's fantastic. So slowly, so maybe I'll just throw in episode one one night and go, "Hun, come on, let's watch it." What you need to do is start with. Well, I mean, I, I Kelly and I live in the in the world that says there's really not a bad episode of The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all that good. Um, I think you need to start with one that is probably universally loved, like Fun Run. Okay. Which is the season four premiere. 
All right. Um, I haven't but, seen that one yet myself. But it does give away some things that happen in character progression. So maybe you don't. Okay. What, you're in season two? I th- uh, I'm either in season two or the very beginning of season three. I forget. I forget. Has Karen shown up yet? Is that uh, Jim's girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. From Stanford. Yes. Yes. They've uh, they've come from Stanford to to Scranton. Several. Okay. So you're in your watch. You're in season three. The yeah. injury is actually in season two. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. All go. I had to Google was what episode does Michael cook his foot? And I got the answer. <laughs> and so I sent you that yesterday and you sent me, and now my knee has a protuberance. <laughs> Which is I think it's line. elbow. <laughs> yeah, elbow, I that's I, right, it was, yeah. Yeah, and now my elbow has a protuberance. Oh my God, he is so funny. Who doesn't so, yeah, love so the we'll smell see. of grilling bacon in the morning? Yeah. <laughs> you step on a George Foreman. <laughs> I'd do that probably, yeah. So anyway. Was the gr- was it open? I, it had to have been, because it had the grill the, lines. Because the, the top foot. things, the top thing doesn't have the grill lines. Yeah. So it was open too, so Yeah. Once you get, I mean, Michael is incompetent, but once you get to the fact that he has a heart of gold and he literally would do anything for those people he works with because he considers them his family. Right. It really makes him a whole lot more tolerable, he's, even as stupid as he is. Oh, but some of the things he does because he's so politically incorrect and, and of course, being in an office environment, we're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. But yeah, he's funny. He is funny. Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll never get tired of Jim looking at the camera the way he does. <laughs> That's like my favorite thing. <laughs> I think there's a supercut on YouTube every time Jim mugs at the camera. Oh, really? Yeah. He was on he was on Kimmel or or one of those shows, or maybe it was uh, the Tonight Show, and he was talking about a Quiet Place, which is fantastic. If anybody hasn't seen it, I have which not he, seen the he second directed. one. He directed. I haven't seen the second one, but he was on it. And the host, I forget if it was Kimmel or or the other guy, Fallon, said, "Can you talk about a Quiet Place and then give?" your office look at the camera. It was hysterical how he was talking about it. And then he just did the. <laughs> it's pretty good. I think he actually co-wrote A Quiet Place as well. I could have that wrong. Oh, I'm not sure. It was it was awesome. His wife is fantastic in it. And the second one's supposed to be even better from what I've heard. So I'm, I got to check that out at some point. So Yeah, we haven't watched it. I think it's on Paramount Plus. It is. It is. Absolutely. Yep. So I'll have to check it out. Sh- shameless Paramount Plus plug, even though we're not CBS partners. Not at all. But you know what? There's a lot of good stuff on, on Paramount Plus right now. So, you know, anyway, if it was true, if it was Cinemax, I would say it if it was stuff was good on it, but I don't even know if that's still around. Well, there's HBO Max. Yes. Which kind of is the pay platform for all the HBO networks, including Skinemax. Skinemax. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Uh. And another uh, topic that just, because I just like to say stuff. The William yeah. Shatner episode of Big Bang Theory was on last night, and that's quite funny. I don't think I've ever seen it. They, he's Shatner's playing D&D with Will Wheaton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, the, the hunky guy from uh, um, uh, True Blood, who was also in Magic Mike, um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Kevin Smith, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, I'm about to start the season one finale of Reacher on Amazon. Oh, okay. People, uh, people are talking about that's a pretty good show. You know, I, I had no expectations of the guy who plays Jack Reacher. Yeah, um, he's the polar opposite of Tom Cruise. I would think so. Tom yes. Cruise is five eight. This guy is six five and yeah, giant. Yeah, he looks like an action figure. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> Physically, he would make a great Batman. Ah, okay. Yeah, because um, the freaking whatever the hell is coming out in a couple weeks, I will. I will tell you right now, I will never ever see that movie 
ever. I'll I'll watch it, but not till it hits like you know HBO or something. Nope. Uh, you could Showtime. you couldn't pay me to watch. I have no that interest movie. in it. None, zero. Um, but he would may actually make a pretty good Batman as Reacher. He's actually pretty entertaining. Uh, and what a beast! Oh my god, hmm. he could have been the next Jack Bauer. Oh, nice. Um, and can you imagine if they did a version of Twenty Four for streaming? Yeah, that would be. Uh, I would love that. That was conceivably more violent. There was rumors that there might be something coming back with 24, but I haven't seen anything in a while. Yeah, Sam, I think that, yeah. Huh. I think they will once, if they can. I hope so. Yeah. Anyway. So you ready to uh, to do this? Yeah, why not? You know, it's good to be back in the saddle. I'm not going to sing is. that because that's a bad singer, but. <clears throat> yeah. 57 days to Mission Chicago is where we go. this. We'll be there. We hope to see you if you're going. If not, stay safe. We'll hope no. to see you in Vegas later in August. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Coconut!